starting Eileen Brenda. The other, uh, the other morning, I got before the boys did, mm-hmm. and Clue just happened to be on uh, like one of those. Oh, I love Clue. One of those twenty four seven movie stations. Okay, did you say Clue or Clute? Clue, not Clute. Okay, I like both films, but for very different reasons. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, um, no, Clute seems like an odd choice for six thirty in the morning. Um, <laughs> that would be a yeah. That's, that's, is that a Pakula? Yeah, that's a Pakula. Okay. That's, I think that's the movie that made Pakula Pakula. I wonder if we should do a Pakula series. I would be down with that, but if you recall, in the 80s, and he yeah, had very bad 80s. Yeah, I do. Yeah. One would argue his mid-early 90s wasn't so great either. But he's had kind of, I mean, his hits are, are fantastic, though. I, uh, we're already off on a tangent. Yeah, and this um, is but, Platypus, by yeah. the way. I'm I'm Jason. I'm and I'm the probably the few people who probably did not. I don't see the big deal about the parallax view. Oh really? Yeah. Huh. I I saw it uh, a few months ago actually because I finally wanted to see it. Uh huh. And there were there were parts of it I really liked, like the part where the um the the montage, um and the all that other stuff. But as far as like the actual plot, yeah. I was like, so what's the motivation here? Um, anyway, um, but uh, Bakula would be a good one because I, I started watching Clute, didn't get to finish it. And he also produced the film version of To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, really? Before he was a director. I didn't know he did that. Yeah, I think he was like a, I think he was one of the TV guys. Like, like Frankenheimer and like all those guys who do like Playhouse 90 and stuff. I think yeah. he was one of those guys. And then somehow he got the rights to, you know, one of the greatest novels of the 20th century and decided to make a movie out of it, which is one of the greatest films of all time. And we all know how that turned out. So maybe we should set the scene here for people. Yeah. A little bit because this is, this is uncharted territory for us. We're in a, we're in the same spot, but this is a complete. This might be the most chill podcast recording we've had. Yeah, I'm. I'm tempted to just like let's let's get like a webcam and we just start filming us. <laughs> I don't um, think anybody wants to see that. Yeah, uh, and they can see uh, what things are like here in the Who and Wall Studios. Yeah, H and W H Q. Yeah, but um. So I'm up and I'm watching Clue, and then Beckett comes, not Beckett, but Tucker, my four-year-old, comes up. Mm-hmm. And I think he, they're at, we're at the second ending. Oh. <laughs> um, no, actually, I don't think we've even gotten to the endings yet, because he wanted to watch uh, Daniel Tiger. <laughs> and I'm like, just, just wait till this is done, buddy. This is, this is the funniest part. So... Um, so he thinks like the movie's about to end and then it doesn't end. <laughs> <laughs> so he's already like, <laughs> but then, um, we get to the part, the third part, the third ending and, uh, Malin Khan is doing her and flames just <laughs> all over my face <laughs> and he is laughing his ass off. Well, once and again, that's how proving, I know he's my child. That's once again proving, though, also the genius of Madeline Kahn. Yeah. Or that Flames. was Madeline Kahn, R.I.P. 
all over my face. And he's he kind of laughs at Tim Curry's pratfalls. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, Michael McKean getting slapped a lot. Yeah, yeah. And one plus one plus one plus one plus one. <laughs> one plus two plus two plus. Killing <laughs> <laughs> um, the bullets. Yeah, that that movie is is it. I don't know if it was well enough appreciated in its time, but it's certainly... Definitely by the time not. I was watching it on Comedy Central when it was on all the time when I was a kid, um, it had moved up as far as, as cult classic status goes. Yeah, that movie is a, just a great piece of gen- like genius. And like it was all really just... The whole gimmick of it is just all some sort of like marketing plan. Well, yeah, I mean, to get but you see the movie two more times. It well, also though, is it the best board game adaptation ever done? I mean, I haven't seen Battleship, but <laughs> so, I'm yes. told it's pretty bad. The answer is yes, it's the best board game adaptation. Yeah. Ever done. I mean, until that can that long just staying Candyland or Shoots and Ladders thing comes together. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, the, the whole idea of making a movie out of a board game anyway is just odd. But I, that cast is just... Mm-hmm. I mean, because it's... it's uh, well, we already mentioned it's um, Tim Curry, yep. Madeline Kahn, mm-hmm. uh, Leslie Ann Warren. Yep. Martin Mull. Martin Mull, Michael McKean. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, that's right. Professor Plum. Yep. Yeah, because um, yeah, I just saw him. I watched The Tender Bar last night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Chris asked me how old he is. I'm like, he's 84. That's, yeah, that's... He's still kicking it. And she's like, is that... I mean, he was in his 50s when he did Back to the Future. I'm like, I think he was in his 40s, but yeah, he's... <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean... Of course, you know, credit due to the makeup and whatnot, but I just, I, I always assumed that, you know, the age I was when I first saw Back to the Future, I just always assumed that that uh, Christopher Lloyd had been old. <laughs> he, and of course, you know, he, I'm... Well, the drugs quickly, he took in the taxi, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, Asian quite a bit. I, I am, you know, of course now quickly approaching the age that he probably was when he did that film. <laughs> yeah, but... You got things to keep you young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I, I just had to tell that story to you. Uh, I didn't expect to tell it on air, but. Uh, well, I, I very much appreciate it. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, that's when you introduce your. That's that's the only thing that I think I might uh, miss about having kids is, is introducing them to the stuff I like for the first time. You still have plenty of time, by the way. I'm not having kids. Okay. Yeah, it's not happening. Accidents happen. Uh, sure they do, which is why... Uh, I, but I, 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 we don't need to go down this road. Yeah, no, but, um, it's not. It's not. At, at this point, something would have to go horribly wrong in order for me to have kids. Yeah. It was quite a thrill to have, because back at my oldest is getting to the age seven now, so he's... Kind of interested in more um, adult things, so I did show him like the first fifteen minutes of Raiders. Um, oh yeah, yeah, because we've been talking about Indiana Jones so much in the house. It's um, still, I mean, the the reveal of Indiana Jones in the in in Raiders is still probably one of the best reveals of the main character mm-hmm. ever done. Yeah, um, just seeing like the glee on his face mm-hmm. as the ball yeah. just comes rolling towards him, and then. 
running from the tribesmen. Yeah. Uh, um, it's it's a blast. And seeing... Um, and then we went to see Transformers a few weeks ago, the new one. Um, seeing the thrill he gets watching something like that. Um, like Mirage turned into like five or six different cars. Oh, yeah. Um, and laughing at Pete Davidson's jokes. <laughs> um, is... Um, uh, it's a little bit of a thrill uh, for me. Um, and now he's, in, he's really into like Mario Brothers and all that other stuff. And it's fun to have him shoot things, facts at me that um, I know, but like he just turned off for the first time. <laughs> oh, yeah, because it sounds fresh then. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, you lucked out. You hear all these horror stories of, of parents who have children who are not at all into what they like. and the Well, when I try to... When I would try to, like, force it. Sure. Um, like, I remember when I tried to force him to watch... Not force it, but... Say, you should watch Labyrinth. It's really good. <laughs> and... He watches it and he just kind of goes, Meh. <laughs> and I'm like... Oh, well. Fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it's like... When he just kind of discovers it on his own, when he wants to watch it, that's kind of when I'm kind of like, that's cool. So, and that's, I love it. So, it, it this this might be fueled by you know years of listening to Marin, or or just my natural fatalistic disposition. Mm-hmm. Probably a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, but I do, especially you know as as you know we're in this sort of new arrangement here yeah as i was moving around all of my my media i guess to cover all of it under an umbrella yeah um but moving things around i was like who the who the hell am i leaving this to like who it's you know who's gonna enjoy all this stuff as much as i have you know it's that that starts to get to me. It's like, what do I do with this stuff? Zia, Zia's gonna. They're gonna get. They they can pry it from my cold dead hands, which is, I guess, <laughs> the idea. Mel Platypus, not sponsored by Zia, by the way. <laughs> but I, uh, no, it's just I. I don't want it to. I don't want it to go somewhere where it's just gonna get picked over or something. I want it to go to. I don't know. I don't know. Beckett or Tucker will enjoy your collection. Maybe. So, if you want to leave it to them, they love you. Well, there we go. They'll, well, they'll just, as they're old enough, I'll have to make sure that they begin to appreciate. Well, they already appreciate things like Sparks and <laughs> but, uh, Yeah, House actually, they and, both kind of do. Yeah? Yeah, they both kind of like those things. And again, nothing I introduced them to, they did it all on their own. So. Well, that's, I mean, that, that warms the cockles on my cold dead heart. heart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. Uh, so yeah, I guess there's an avenue. Yeah, there. I'm here for you. You can live vicariously through me all that you want. So. <laughs> no. All right, we are getting Tweety with it. No. Let's so let's do that. Let's get Tweety with it. We are discussing. You're getting warmer. We, we are getting warmer. First we were warm, and now we're even warmer. Yes. Uh, this is the 2019 release by Jeff Tweety called Warmer. Uh, that was uh, originally a record store day only release. Yep. And then released 
digitally and I believe also released as a uh, box set uh, with warm yeah so um, and this was the first this is another first timer for you right yes I've never heard this one before and first impressions um, my first impression is is that it's very much in the style and the tone of warm. Uh, I don't think it's neither better nor worse uh, than it's, I, it's just it's a mood. It is. It's definitely a mood. I feel like it's a little darker mood than yeah than warm. The, the song um, the song that really stuck out to me just because this is how I, I I've always thought about what would happen when both my um, parents would die um, as orphans mm -hmm. because he's obviously talking about, you know, uh, you know, what is be feeling like an orphan um, as his parents would be. Uh, ours, both his parents are no longer on the earth. Right. And I, I, I there's something dark and melancholy. Well, I would say even melancholy, that more than dark, but uh, it, it, it's profound and something I can relate to. I thought, yeah, I, I mean, again, this is, these are obviously still, you know, very much of a piece with the memoir. Yeah. Um, let's go so we can get back. Uh, mm -hmm. And it feels like the bonus material that they, the bonus chapter that they add, um, to the book when it goes into paperback. Mm -hmm. um, so, but uh, I, 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 I didn't um, on the couple lessons I, I did. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just I liked it. I liked the lyrics. The lyrics are strong. It's definitely still got a mood, right? Um, it's maybe not as poppy. As parts of Warm are? No, it doesn't have the breaks that, that Warm does. Yeah. Warm gives you a few toe tappers. This this gets close in a couple of spots, I would say, with like Evergreen. Yeah. Um, but this is this is more... This is definitely more of a leisurely stroll of an album. Yeah. This is a Sunday night, you know, chill out record. I so one of my notes was that I think it's a comfy blanket of an album. Um, it just kind of if you let it sort of just drape over you. Uh, I mean, if if you're just kind of wanting to sort of, it almost makes you want to sit on the porch and like a rocker kind of thing. Yeah, does that make sense? It's just if you want to listen, to, you know, be kind of taken along on. Uh, a, a a a leisurely paced acoustic guitar bed, um, with the occasional brushes going. Which again, I mean, Spencer's drumming on this is outstanding. Yeah, I, uh, I agreed. Um, I think this is a end of the summer beer in hand, beer in one hand, cigar in the other. Yeah, kind of a a, a summer evening outdoor. Yeah, if it wasn't so fucking hot. Well, yes, a, a summer elsewhere, <laughs> Maybe a summer in Chicago, let's say. No, because right now, well, not this year. No, not this everything's, year. Everything's fucking hot right now. Well, that's global warming for you. Yeah. So, but um, 
Now, there, there have been Christmases where I'll stand out. Oh, and I used to stand out in the backyard um, with a beer and a, mm-hmm. and a cigar and just think about the holiday because um, I hate the holiday. And it's kind of like, this is that record. This is where I would put on. It chugs along in some spots, though. I thought Family Ghost. Yes. Um, Very gothic. Yeah, I'm a dope blowing smoke uh, at the TV screen. That's a great opening. Yeah. yeah. I Yeah, there, there are some real good highlights in here. Like, I remember, I think you had told me, or maybe not, that you like this one less than warm. Yes. And yeah, to me, it's not it's not quite as strong as warm. Yeah, and I was curious why you thought that. Well, and I, I think part of it might be that I just, again, haven't also listened to it as much because listening back to it for this episode, I, I was lost for why I didn't think it was as least, at least equal to warm. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe the only reason is that lack of, of the up-tempo break, yeah, you know, or mid-tempo break in his case. Uh, it, we're, we're, all, we're kind of all down-tempo here. Uh, and it's, I mean, it... it I don't think... I, I, I don't think it's necessary to sprinkle that in, um, but I, I think probably when I was first listening to it, you know, and thinking about when this, at the time that this came out, uh, I don't know that 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 was. There were a few years there where it felt like I couldn't get, I couldn't connect with some things, and this was one that that I felt that way about. But listening to it again for this episode, that that definitely I I could it, I connected with it for sure. Yeah, I listened to this like on a Saturday afternoon, and it's it's a good Saturday afternoon record, like especially like a song like this one, uh, like. Um, this is a little yeah. more up tempo. It's a little bit of a. It's. It has. I don't know, that's a great guitar part too. Um, I don't know. One. I, I. That's kind of going a little bit off topic. What we were talking about, but. Um, the thing that, again, I'm reminded of by listening to the Tweety solo albums is mm-hmm. how much I like him as a guitarist. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just don't, because when he's in Wilco, you've got Nels and you've got, um, Pat Sansone who also plays and, and you've got Tweety and after a ghost is born, he takes a much more, you know, backseat to, uh, more of a backseat role as far as, as the, uh, guitar parts go. Mm-hmm. Uh, or at least it, it seems that way to me. So to have these showcases for him to to stretch out a little bit is a lot of fun. I, I mean... Yeah. I enjoyed the little... Um, it's funny. Um, we were talking about the bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, pre-game. And I know you haven't seen it yet, but there is a moment in the last episode where I'm not giving anything away, by the way. Okay. Yeah, um, please don't. But they play the live version of spires oh yeah yeah and i love his guitar solo i love his guitar solo inspires and you're listening to this Mm -hmm. it's like it's this is yeah reminded again of that moment in the show 
But I'm also reminded like how what you just said that he is a very good and accomplished guitarist. I mean, he's not Nels Klein. He's not Nels Klein. <laughs> well, and it's interesting too because sometimes when he solos, it sounds like he's you know, you know, uh, holding on for for dear life. It almost sounds like he's he's strangling the neck sometimes <laughs> to to get to eke out what he wants. But it it, it sounds. I don't know. There's, for somebody who is not predominantly known as a lead guitarist, he has a very, very distinctive sound. Yeah, it's and it's it comes off like as jarring and like inspires at least. It comes off as jarring, maybe even a little jarring, or maybe even a little paranoid. You know, it yeah. cuts um, into the flow of the song, and that's what it's supposed to do. Right, um, and that's kind of the way it was at the beginning of this one. I was like, it, it, it cuts into your your thought, and then now yeah. it's just kind of this one's just kind of trickle. Now it's just kind of going along. Yeah, no, he's he's a very emotive player, for sure. So he plays with his heart, not his head. Yeah, and that's not uh, that's not a bad thing. No, I I, I I concur. Oh. What were some of your other thoughts on it? Um I was more um I think what stuck out to me too was um it just feels like it goes a little deeper into some of the themes of warm mm -hmm. lyrically. Um but I, I don't have any specific references to point out. Um, and I just, I think my main curiosity for me was, was with you was why you didn't like this one as much as warm at, at the beginning as if it was like, it does, I guess the thing is like, it doesn't feel like leftovers to me. No, it, it definitely feels like it's a, an intentional album. I do think though that, I was noticing with the song Six Server, for instance, yeah. that uh, it feels like he was playing around with a few different, um, you know, sets of lyrics with the same melody. Mm -hmm. And because this one very much reminded me of uh, Warm When the Sun Has Died. Mm -hmm. And it also, I think, um, is referenced, uh, a similar riff is referenced in, or chord progression, in Evergreen. Mm -hmm. Um and so it's it doesn't, and that may be where I was like, well, I feel like I've heard some of these songs in just different settings before, um, and I, I really do think that just at the time that I listened to it, that it was uh, just not the speed that I needed it to be at. The the other thing too with this one for me is it does not feel um with warm it did feel for me tonally and referencing like very referency of the styles that twee would do that jeff would do like of his past mm. work mm -hmm. this one feels a little more coherent tonally yes well and again i think it it's one that you know just his kind of comfort and like, he's been he's been so I mean, think about this though right 
So you had t- 2018 and Warm, or Warm comes out in 2018, Warmer 2019. Mm-hmm. There's a Wilco album in there. I, th- I think that, um, oh, it was Ode to Joy. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's 2020. Um, or there, 2019 or 2020 or thereabouts. And then he's also got um, Love is the King that comes out and then the Cruel Country album that's a double album. So, I mean, the man is just a fucking machine at this point. Because <laughs> the quality, to me, the quality doesn't dip as no. far as the songwriting goes. I mean, it might not be... I think... He, it feels like he's sort of moved on from the, you know, you're going to have an album maybe of mixed, you know, uh, mixed results with some some bangers like you had with Summer Teeth and uh, 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 Yankee Hotel or even a Ghost is Born. And, and really where where there are just particular standout tracks and he's now just consistent. Well, I think I read this review yesterday um, from on Pitchfork, which is actually written by someone I used to work with. Um, I think I pulled that one up, actually. Yeah. Um, and I think he referenced like how album like with Wilco. Evan, is it the Evan, Evan R- R- L- yeah. one? Yeah. yeah. Um, like albums like Summer Teeth are meant to be like this big statement. Yeah. And they're meant to be overblown sound wise. And now he's just writing to write. Yeah. And it's like, okay, these are cool. Maybe people will like these. Uh-huh. I just put these out now and yeah. maybe people will like them. Maybe they won't. Well, Who's to say? <laughs> but I mean, there's there's also nothing... It doesn't feel like he's phoning it in in any way. Oh, no, in, in that no, way. no. That's the um, thing. He's not. But No, I, well, I mean, isn't that the ultimate goal, though? If you, if you think about some of our, our, our favorite artists that we've talked about mm-hmm. over the years, right? You know, Wilco and Jeff Twee and certainly Neil Finn. And, Springsteen. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, Springsteen to a lesser degree because it feels like he's still chasing. Like, he's still... It, I think he stopped chasing when he released that covers album. Well, maybe that might have been the nail in that one. Yeah. But um, I, you know, anyway, it's where where they get to this point where they've got their audience and they know that their audience is going to move with them at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, they've they've just got a long standing back you know rich back catalog to go to of crowd pleasers and then to be able to to just do what they want for the rest of their career mm-hmm. essentially and know that. You know, they might not sell as well as they used to, but they are going to have an audience and people are going to show up at shows. Yeah. And that's, you know, that that's obviously where the music business model has gone these days for bands is the live show really being the the moneymaker. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned Neil, too. Mm-hmm. And you realize that, like, uh, Neil and Jeff... And even, I think, yeah, Pearl Jam, too, they're no, they have set themselves up in their later careers in a way where they don't have to rely on the business model anymore. Right. They are in themselves their own business they model. They are their own business model. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, it's really what, a kind of luxury that, that most artists don't get. Yeah. 
they no longer have to make every album like it's a a statement album like a yeah, statement album it's no sure. longer like i'm gonna put all my work you know everything into this and hope to god that this is the one that breaks through um where springsteen still latches on to that model he does quite a bit i think and but yeah I, that's what that's what i was getting at with the, ex- I almost with the exception that we're talking about springsteen again i know but i mean it, it, it's an interesting dich- you know dichotomy there because he could do the same thing if i mean i i would be so thrilled if he was just turning out albums like you know devils and dust or uh you know i mean magic i think was probably his last great statement record yeah but he's still trying to have every at least every new album of original material be another earth-shattering statement it really feels like he's you know the the bombast of working on a dream or letter to you or uh you know even western stars which i thought was which i enjoyed it's probably one i've enjoyed most out of this last you know this last decades run of of albums but it, it does feel like he he's not I mean do you listen to something like one of the newer records and think that Springsteen sounds like a relaxed dude no yeah and like the man 70 doesn't have to do this anymore I and whereas he can I just keep churning out Nebraska's I, he could do he could do whatever the fuck he wants that would just please himself you but know? even like Nebraska yeah as like as quiet and reserved as a of an album that is it's a statement. Yeah. It's that he put his whole thing into. Well, that's the thing, but it also felt like an effortless statement. Yeah. It didn't feel like there was this, you know, like he was dropping it and being like, no, you know, gaze upon he, what I have. No, but like that isn't like that, but I wouldn't say so much it was effortless because from what I've read and heard about the making of the album, it's the book. Well, which I need to read that book. I really, I do too. I really want that. I was going to ask if you had read that. I haven't read the book, but but I listened to the interview, but it sounds like he went places where he should never have gone. Yeah. That is what it sounds like. And like, like, of course, like in listening to the record, you obviously know, like, like John, they tell the reference, the story, um, and the interview with, that they did with Marin, Warren Zanes. Yeah. Um, or John Landau took listen to the demos and he's like, "Are you okay? Yeah. Do we need help for you? Yeah. Um, because there was some really dark shit on there. Yeah. And he did that like he had to like you and I being men who are sadly in touch with our feelings <laughs> a little too much. Um, maybe like know that like to get to that point to to go that deep." Mm-hmm. Um, it takes effort. I mean, it's not like, um, it's not like a physical effort, but it's definitely an emotional one. But I feel like at least in the seventies and in the eighties, he, up until, yeah, seventies and the eight, God, every record he's done, he's put like, he has to do something to it, you know, or it has to be about something. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know. I would love to, to get a return to the more personal stuff. Mm-hmm. I, you know, as, and, and we can be done with, with Springsteen after this, 
But well, and I think actually though that it'll round us back to Tweety because it's one of the things that I really appreciate about Tweety's recent work is how just personal it is and somehow connects. Even though I mean, they these are stories that seem very unique to him. Mm-hmm. It's still in such a way that it's accessible and um, and and. You know something that that can be connected to in in a, in a uh, shared experience way that I don't feel you know, that I that I have felt listening to Nebraska or to Tunnel of Love. Yeah, but the thing is, is like with and again, um, with Wilco and Tweedy, like uh, with the exception of the late '90s, early aughts, mm-hmm. you can reference each one as like. That's the label album. Like, that's the I Hate My Label album. Sure. That's yeah. the I Goff Painkillers album. Right. This is my big statement album. Um, like, that being Summer Teeth. Sure. Um, where, like, every record you can say with Springsteen, you can put, like, a theme to it. Yeah. Like, this is my darkest shit album. Yeah. This is the... This is my disillusionment with marriage album. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. This is my... Um, These. This is my pair of I'm happy with marriage now and nobody wants to hear what I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> Albums. Yeah. I. Uh, this AKA is my... Uh, touch and Lucky Tale. Yeah. Yeah. These are my two albums that I just decided to, you know, because, you know... The label was good to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And here's a movie <laughs> yeah. like, to accompany every one of these. Well, yeah. Now that, which is, I, I don't know. I hope he stops that trend. I, I or, or that, that whole pet. It was the Western stars. One was, was good. Uh, and I and understand then, why he did that one. Yeah. But then everything after that was kind of like, okay, well now it's just his model. He's going to do this, you know, very, you know, try like a tourist looking uh, documentary about him in the studio for yeah. each album. Whereas Wilco, they knew when to stop. Yeah. They did, they did the one movie. Right. <laughs> that we know of. There's no like, like shared media experience with like every one of the records. He just puts them out. Yeah. And yes, it just happens to, in, in the cases of these solo albums, they just, I think the book inspired these records. Right. Uh, as And it wasn't like it was like this big marking push um, like every one of Springsteen's things has. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just there as like, hey, everybody checking in. Here's some songs I put out. <laughs> I hope you like them. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my son, he played drums in them. <laughs> He's pretty good. <laughs> He's just, I don't know. You you didn't catch much of the Tweety show, if any of the Tweety show, when, uh, you know, during I wish I had peak pandemic times. But just the, he seems finally, and, and knowing his story, mm-hmm. you know, and everything that he's told and everything that, that we've seen, uh, the fact that now at this point, he's just a, he seems like a very relaxed, content man, you know, happy with his family and yeah. happy enough to just kind of bum around in his pajamas and play guitar. Yeah, and he just writes music to do music. Yeah. And um, that is like, you no, know, like these last two records, I think, but, show I mean, how much you just, 
Um, he's still he got that it. restless spirit, though. I, well, because he digs music. Yeah. Um, I, uh, you don't like. He's not like Billy Joel. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like. Just like oh, I'm done. Like I've made enough money. I'm done now. Right. <laughs> um, maybe I'll come back and do you know and have a residency at uh, Madison Square Garden when. I owe more child support. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sort of thing. Sure. And um, that's the thing about tweets. Like he doesn't, he's not that guy. Like for one, he doesn't owe child support. Right. (laughs) He's not like made like horrifically bad investments or anything. He just, he's like just this dude who just does, loves music. And he loves sharing his love of music with other people. And I love that about him. And if listening to Warm and Warmer has like showed me anything about him and the book that the audio book, because mm-hmm. I know I didn't read it right yes. to you. Yeah. Um I think shows that like who he who he is. Like uh, his relationship with music. I just love it. It's so I I want to spend a few minutes here. I don't I don't know how much more we need to talk about warmer. Other than I I I I, I do I do like it. I, I I like it quite a bit more than I thought I did. <laughs> um, there are definitely songs that I will I will go back to more often now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Evergreen is fantastic, um, and I also think that that last song Guaranteed. Uh, I think that is. Uh, it's just also a, a, a beautiful song to to his wife. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the opening, I love the opening verse of it, of we've been through a lot, me and you, hospitals and bars. I know how it hurts. I'm a piece of work and you're no walk in the park. Oh, that's a good place to start. <laughs> when things go wrong, our love gets stronger. I don't know. It's just a, it's, to me, it, it, it gives me hope. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you're, optimistic as of late so uh yeah you know yeah which is not like you <laughs> uh do we i want to go back to family ghosts just a little bit more especially yeah. interestingly enough again in the context of springsteen I, I i think i don't know what your thoughts were initially hearing this but this is one of those songs where it could be it's it's take on uh patriotism could be misconstrued i didn't get that at all because do you you got just the cynical nature of it from the beginning? Yeah, yeah. I I. Uh, well, I mean, the man who wrote "Ashes of American Flags." Yes. Yeah. Is, uh, <laughs> it's um, I don't you know. There's no pussyfooting around how he feels about politics and no, but nature. um, "Ashes of American Flags" I think was you know made it. Um, very clear what the what the what the thoughts on 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 the country were, uh, but I think he he kind of cheekily couches the this very this very cynical reading on on what it means to be American in a in a kind of you know definitely the the crunchiest guitars on the album are in this song and you could think of it as. Oh, it's like fist pumping kind of thing, but no, it's not. Yeah. It's talking about you know how I, how you know being an American, 
you feel it in in isolation. You mm-hmm. feel it in futile endeavors. You feel it in, you know, all these things that that are not. I feel like any like any song. I love he, yeah that he writes. It can be about anything you want it to be. Well, uh, but I mean, it's pretty clear what he's talking about in this one. But I feel like it could it could be applied to a lot of items. Yeah, I, but when you read a verse like "Time will tell this story again," different clothes than they wore back then, digging holes and filling them in, I feel so American. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Oh. Anyhow, uh, last thoughts on warmer. Um, I like it just as much as warm. Uh, I still like it just slightly less. I, I like it more than I did initially, but I, I like it slightly less. I feel like they both stand on their own. One oh, yeah, the they other. do. But they are, I mean, they are of a piece. You can't really... I can, yeah. Just I, just in how they were released and how they were packaged of the idea of warm and warmer. Yeah. Uh, they they definitely it. This does not feel like warm castoffs. It feels it it does feel like an intentional album that has its own theme and uh, everything yeah. holding it it together. But they I, they definitely are are of a piece to me. I, I yeah. They feel like they're written at the same time. I feel like though I could I don't need one to enjoy you can the enjoy other. them independently no, of I one can another. Enjoy them independently. Um, well, that's there, there's there's a difference between you and I think because I, I I can't I can't separate <laughs> the two. They, they feel <laughs> yeah. Um, I I want to before we move on. I mean, and maybe this maybe we should say this discussion for for the the this is kind of the penultimate episode of the of the Tweety miniseries. But uh, I thought it would be worth highlighting a little bit the fact that as his. You know, as he is being a restless recording artist, recording Wilco, you know, Wilco albums and now solo projects, he's also he ramps up his production work, but at yeah. the very same time, because uh, this is also over the the period of time that we've talked about, he's also produced a couple of uh, Mavis Staples albums. Low, um, yeah, he produced Low, uh, a Low album. He, pre- he produced a Richard Thompson album. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh oh white is it white denim yeah uh he produced white denim's album corsicana lemonade which is a pretty decent record um yeah i don't know it's he just it's like does the guy take a day off (laughs) no um it's funny it's like i told you that you got to see him performed in that festival with Richard Thompson. Yes. And my morning jacket. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to see him perform with many of the staples too. Uh, Elal Palooza. Um, as she lovingly refers to him as Tweety. Tweety, come out here. <laughs> <laughs> That's my friend Tweety. <laughs> and, um, it's so funny too is like um again like going back to the bear mm-hmm. um there's such like a very um that the soundtrack the needle drops the everything it's like it's such such influenced by like jeff mm-hmm. <laughs> um because they do use that mavis staples record and they do like do the solos and the even the seven worlds collide uh 
the, you know, and all that stuff. Like it's, I, if I didn't know any better, I'd say you were the music supervisor. That's, that's what I saw when I saw the, the song list, uh, for season two of the bear. I, I was like, I, I could have picked this. I, I could have done the musical yeah. programming for this easily. This so. is, this is all my music. I mean, so. there was, I, there's Elvis Costello. There was, uh, there yeah. was, uh, you know, so, some, some Pearl Jam, some, some Neil Finn, some, you know, various iterations of Neil Finn too. Cause there's some crowded house stuff on there. Uh, some REM, some talking heads. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I looked at that song list and I was like, this it's, is, yeah. Somebody has the job I want. Somebody, yeah. Someone has the job. Somebody hire me as a music supervisor. Yeah. Um, or just marry a director and then do what uh, Bill Lawrence does. Hire, marry a director and, uh, and Kristen, uh, this is Kristen Miller. Yeah. yeah. Cause she's the co-supervisor for yeah. all his shows. Yeah, just do that. That's that's okay. That's my new plan. Okay. I'm gonna marry a showrunner and be their musical supervisor. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds. I, I see no reason. Uh, yeah, this this, this has no, this wouldn't work. Yeah, it, this definitely doesn't seem uh, doomed to fail. Yeah, but let's let's hit up recommendations. Yeah, what you got? Well, I I went yesterday and saw uh, Past Lives. I think it's an excellent film. It is very much of a, you know, um, it's 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 the kind of film. There, there's a couple of things. One, it's a kind of film that doesn't get made often enough anymore. Yeah. And I think A twenty four seems to really be doing their darndest to kind of keep this genre of film alive. But it's just, it's just a story about people mm-hmm. and and how, you know. A, culture you know, moving from culture to culture and, and translating across you know, decades and how relationships change and people change and um you know it's it's just an incredibly well executed film it's also uh a first time american film from the director the writer director um Celine song uh, oh, it's her, her actually her feature directorial debut. Period. Oh wow! Yeah. Has she done anything before? Um. <laughs> I'm always like I'm always curious like what somebody does to earn their spot. I guess to, she was a playwright prior to. Okay. Yeah, prior to this film. But. Uh. So I mean, it's it's very well realized characters, very real tension, romantically speaking, between the the three principal actors, um, and just I, I don't know. It's 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 a it's a small quiet film that's very affecting mm-hmm. and very uh, it 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 stays with you in 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 a, in a fantastic way. Uh, it was very the showing that we went to last night. Um, was actually pretty full which oh wow yeah i was very that warmed the cockles of my heart <laughs> maybe the sub cockles yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah uh maybe the gonads <laughs> i don't know <laughs> well no that's that's not to to bring up woody allen twice in the same podcast but that's one of the great things in in um 
in in love and love and death where he and and diane keaton are talking and she said that you know her he warmed her cockles and he, he's like there's nothing better or nothing worse than hot cockles uh, <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> uh if i didn't uh feel like i was supporting him i'd watch that movie <laughs> it's a it's a great film I, you know at, at this point i feel less like i'm supporting uh him currently by the fact that i have purchased them once and can watch them them regularly yeah uh without paying again but it's a weird situation it is a weird situation it's it's like the the whole complicated feelings about listening to ryan adams music you know um anyway all of that aside, Past Lives, just beautiful film, looks amazing. Um, for somebody for their, especially for a directorial debut, it's 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 a it's a stunning effort, um, and I, I do highly recommend it. I don't know I don't know how how long it'll hang around. Hopefully, if there are showings um, that are continuing to to get. Uh, Oh, it's been you out know, for a few weeks, right? It's been out for a while. Yeah, it's it's held on. For, yeah, which is surprising because um, that a you went to a nearly sold out show. Mm-hmm. And I imagine in the smallest theater and in, in the not you know what honestly not the smallest there 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 are smaller uh, you know screens in the uh, in the, the Shea fourteen than yeah. than this one. So yeah. Well, that's, that's again that's just amazing. Yeah, I'm saying hard. The fact that A twenty four doesn't how doesn't know how to market a non horror film, um, but they're making some good shit. I mean, be, between they've, oh, yeah. they've made two of my favorite films of the year now. Um, I would definitely say Past Lives is one of my favorite films of the year, as is uh, You Hurt My Feelings. Yeah, and they always like that's the thing with A twenty four is I love all their you know a good portion of their content that they mm-hmm. come out with. I hate to refer to like their output as content. But I mean, that's everything's what, content. Oh man. Content nowadays. <laughs> um, but um, I always, I, I know I say, I, I, I use this too much when I talk about a 24. Um, but I always think of the film 20th century women and that movie oh, sure. should have been a huge hit. Yeah. Um, well, shit, A24 is also showing up. That, that just made me think. Kelly Reckert, um, uh, yeah, uh, showing up is also fucking brilliant. Yeah. But that's the thing is like, they'll... They might be responsible for my three favorite films of the year. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing is like, they know how to acquire mm-hmm. quality films. Yeah. But when it comes to... And they're, I think they're also really seeing the new Sofia Coppola movie. Yes. Um, Which there was a preview for. Oh, is that? Is, yeah. Oh, it looks great. Yeah. Um, but if they marketed those movies half as well as they market the horror stuff, mm-hmm. like that place would be printing money. I don't know so much that it's their fault, though, because I don't, it's such an uncertain landscape for films like that. Horror is a genre that, that, it's just that does very well right mm-hmm. now, and it doesn't seem hard for them to to succeed there. But and to be fair, Past Lives did. The only reason I even know about Past Lives mm-hmm. is because it made the top ten. Oh, like, did it? The week or the week second week it came out. But and also to be fair, uh, um, 
Asteroid City mm-hmm. is not a 24 movie. Yeah. Um, but had a really good two weeks. Yeah. And now it's it's gone, I think. Right. So, um, and that's... I think it's still hanging out there in a few Harkins locations. Yeah, I mean, it's still hanging out there, but, like, it's not... It doesn't have staying power. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the people who wanted to see it saw it. Yeah. And either loved it or hated it, and then... I don't, didn't spread the word. It'll, we we should this year really try to at least from a film standpoint have like a a, a year in best of because I think we've each seen quite a few films this year. Yeah, um, it's nice when there isn't like a disease right yeah. in the country, and I have a lady who supports me going to see movies with you, mm. um, even though they're Indiana Jones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but. Uh, all right. Anyway, past lives was for me. Go see it. What's yours? Well, I mean, other than um, the usual stuff that uh, white males have liked over the last two, three weeks, Mission Impossible Seven, uh, The Bear Season Two. I, I can't recommend um, Episode Six of Season Two enough. Oh yeah. And um, I won't spoil it. Anything about it. Um, just consider it like the amuse bouche uh, to your uh, to your um, entree. All right, um, but it was um, is lovely um, that episode, and people who have already seen it, they know they know what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, they know. Um, but um, the thing that kind of stood out to me this week, the thing that got me thinking a lot. Um, was Netflix did a documentary on Wham. Um, the, you know, the, the Andrew George Ridgway Michael, re- vehicle? The George Michael, <laughs> Andrew, uh, uh, Andrew Ridgely. Uh, oh, Ridgely, not Ridgway. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you're right. thinking of Stan Ridgway, uh-huh. uh, another uh, 80s New Wave guy. But um, no, this is Andrew, it'll be Andrew Ridgely and some small little pop guy named George Michael. Um, and I think I probably appreciated it a lot more because I had read Ridgely's book after Michael, had, George Michael had died. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I, t- I didn't know. I apologize. I listened to it. Okay. Because it's, it's, I forgot. Um, it's good that you're honest about these things. You know, I, I, I fucking read, <laughs> motherfucker. Uh, anyway. Um, but it's directed by the same guy who did like... Um, I think Chris Smith, who did American Movie and pretty much is the one-man documentary machine for Netflix now. Okay. Because he does, like, he had some hand in Tiger King. He does, like, all these other movies. But um, it's really focused on letting George and Andrew tell the story. And having, again, having listen to andrew tell his side it's nice to get so is this just archival interviews of it because george is long dead right yeah it's archival stuff okay so but it's nice to hear george talk about it okay um because i only heard andrews and i kept thinking well this is (laughs) like he's being he's trying to make himself 
I kept thinking like he's secretly trying to make himself the hero uh-huh. of this story, but and and in reality, well, I mean, Andrew there's... was George's <laughs> biggest fan. Okay, um, and supported him one hundred percent. Like, but George couldn't have bec- George Michael couldn't have become George Michael without Andrew Ridgely. But they use all these archival footage, archival interviews, mm-hmm. and tell the story about how someone like George Michael who wants respect can't get it and the genre he's in mm-hmm. because he's a pop musician mm. and that and like people tore apart like the first two Wham! albums because it just so happens that young girls mm-hmm like these records but you think about it george michael is a fucking great pop writer sure yeah um and the fact that he couldn't no one picked up on that until it was too late um well how so it's not like the man didn't have a great career the man had a wonderful career yeah but he never got respect for, I think he was always speaking, like looking for respect from critics. Gotcha. And he never got it. I see. Until maybe, I don't know how people thought about faith, but I think he got some with listen without prejudice. Right. But like even past that, he still did. I, I he came up with like great albums. Yeah. Um, and he has a great voice mm-hmm. and, but during Wham, like he just never got any of that respect, and I think, well, I mean, it was from. I, I mean, uh, I don't know much about Wham. I and I, I you know, of course, I, there are certain indelible George Michael songs that I am very well aware of. But um, I mean, to me, it was always just uh, it was like it was the Pretty Boy Pop Band. Yeah, and like with maybe, I imagine. For you, like you know, Careless Whisper. Sure, yeah. Which it's so funny is that that song was written by him and Andrew. He's never going to dance again. But he got the credit. George Michael got sole credit? No, he got. So George and Andrew wrote it. They both have a co writing credit. Uh But on the record, it's Wham featuring George Michael. Oh, weird. Which it was like this. They're trying to. Like, to separate him from the band or make him stay yeah out. like yeah. and it's like they've been best friends since they were 12 oh really yeah and that's like a cool thing like you get to see like how they grew up like george is like this chubby kid <laughs> with pimples and, uh-huh. like before he becomes the <laughs> you know the perfectly chiseled greek god that he is sure and I say that because he's Greek. Okay. <laughs> um, and just like nerdy, awkward kids they were uh-huh. and how they grew up. I, I, I feel like I'm just like ruining it for people, but um, anyone who's listening, but I really like this documentary. Okay. And I really like how it's called Wham. It's called Wham. Okay. And just the, the framing device are these scrapbooks mm-hmm. that Andrew's mom put together and they're going through like 36 volumes of scrapbooks wow um 
and the movie's like and it's a really quick doc it's like an hour and a half mm -hmm. so you're not like going through like three hours of sure of stuff but i thought the the framing device is really interesting the the rise and then the end mm -hmm. and it's where it ends and but it's no one else is telling the story it's them it's wham <laughs> um and knowing how it just shows like how I just liked how it shows how little we how little respect pop music gets unless it's like ironic, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. Like ABBA. Do you like, like you either everybody loves ABBA, but how do you love ABBA? Mm. Do you love them as pop musicians or you, do you love them ironically because they came up with a song called dancing queen and they made two movies of Meryl Streep <laughs> um, singing and goofing around <laughs> right. in a studio with two British actresses. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of like how um, I, I, I personally have always liked Wham and George Michael because I think they craft really good pop songs and I think that's a that's an art. Yeah. And we can sit here and talk about Tweety all day and Springsteen all day. But I think what people we don't talk about, maybe now we do because, but in the 80s and the 90s, no one talked about how hard it is to write a really good fucking pop song. Well, and it just, I don't know. The 80s, the 80s for pop music was just, there was just so much of it. Yeah. Uh, be, and there's some of it that's that's amazing. That's great. Um, and I don't know. For some reason, Wham was one of those that just never never quite connected with me. Well, they were uh, never as big, and they didn't get big until the states until "Wake Me Up Before You Go Go." Right. Which again, it's a song that everybody knows because it's played ironically in Zoolander. Oh sure, yeah. While they're having a gas fight. Yeah. <laughs> um, and last Christmas. Right is a song that's played over and over and over on Christmas. Yeah, and well, used and thought of as ironically, maybe because of its overuse. But it's a damn good song. Sure. Um. So. I but you know I don't know it's it, I I to me I feel like a band like Duran Duran falls into a similar category as Wham. Mm -hmm. And I were, you know, I think of Duran Duran as having some great classic albums. For some reason, I, I, Wham never entered the the conversation for me. Because I, um, I think that has to do more with Duran Duran was influenced by bands that critics like. Sure. Like your Roxy's and your Bowie's, uh -huh. where Wham is just <laughs> well. For one, they always just talk about having fun all the time, right? Like, what's <laughs> yeah? Um, and like in the beginning, all they did was talk about having fun all the time. And if you listen now, when I listen deeper to like songs like Make a Big, like songs on Make a Big, like um the song Freedom, mm -hmm. not Freedom Ninety. Right. It's obviously about George Michael being a closet gay man. Mm -hmm. um, 
and but it comes off as like this perfect pop song with like the uh, but i th- i think it's just funny as like now you know 40 years later we go because we still live in the age of poptimism that we're still um and rabid fandom that we would give Taylor Swift does as well as she does. And I'm not against Taylor Swift at all, but I think if she were in the eighties, she'd be eviscerated by the critics. Um, and maybe slowly gaining respect nowadays. Like I think if like, I think now if we were getting, if folklore came out in the nineties, it'd be like, it'd be like, Oh look, she's pivoting to alternative now. She's becoming like growing up. Sure. Where like if um if nineteen eighty nine had come out in nineteen eighty two, she would get maybe two stars in Rolling Stone. Yeah. And um a lot of like really bad interviews about being a woman in rock. Sure. Whereas now I think she still gets some shitty interview questions, <laughs> but she gets a lot of respect from now. Like, I, and just funny too, because it just kind of dovetails into this. Um, it dovetails into this pitch I'm trying to sell about music journalism, how Pitchfork never even paid attention to Taylor Swift, and now they follow her every move because they're owned by a big conglomerate publishing conglomerate sure and they need clicks Mm -hmm. and they want to appeal to the widest possible audience like that cheekiness and fun about rock criticism is not like it's done it's over that's too bad yeah we're like unless you spend eight dollars on a cream subscription (laughs) and it comes out every four months in a big fucking magazine um but uh i i wish um i guess my hope is that i i what i that's my point is that pop music's still really fucking hard yeah and should get some respect the fact that people do it and i think the documentary expresses that um that struggle, especially from the artist's point of view. Mm-hmm. I think things could have gone. I, I think it was just one of the many things that George Michael struggled with in his career. It just it happens to be um, in this documentary. It just happens to be this big thing. Mm. Um, and just because girls think that the singers are hot, doesn't make it bad so that's 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 the message we want to leave with just because girls think the singers are hot doesn't hey, mean it's bad i hey i mean when i use the president example um there are a lot of problems with harry styles um I, I know you must know who he is, right? I, I know of him, yes. Yeah, you know of him. I've never heard any of his music, but I know of him. I, I've heard 
the songs that I've heard, I think they're good songs. And but I think the quality of the music gets lost in what's he wearing. Sure. Um, who's he dating? Um, how bad his acting is in <laughs> Don't Worry Darling. Or or how good it is or him spinning on Chris Pine at a premiere or something. Like I think he and I think he probably feels that a bit too. It's like I'm sitting here, I'm writing these good introspective songs mm -hmm. but all people care about is am I straight, am I gay, am I bi? Um all these other things that don't fucking matter mm -hmm. <laughs> or shouldn't matter. But that's not the world we live in. So and I think that's a lot of what they went through. It's talked about in the Wham Duck through their story. And that's why I really like it. So, All right. So Wham, the documentary. And yeah. Past I'm lives, sorry we didn't talk movie. about that as long as Past Lives, but oh, it kind of dovetails into... We, we talked about it longer than Past Lives. Uh, but it dovetails into what we were talking about with Tweety too. is just like all these albums have to make some big... That's the thing too is like they were in a system where like they had to make these big right statement every record right um and have like these videos and all these other things like have these big marketing pushes and these big tours and like just <laughs> like one of these days like it, it's all gonna fall it's gonna fall down again and It'll be the people like Tweety and Neil that are still standing because quality wins out. Yeah. All right. So we've got one more of these Tweety episodes to do. It's going to be Love is the King. That'll be the final final word on getting Tweety with it. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you in a couple of weeks. Keep it mental, Platypeeps. Platypeeps.